Beloved, I'm writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is a word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. I am writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his namesake. I am writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, because you have, be have overcome the evil one. I write to you, children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. 1 John 2, 7, 14. This is the word of the Lord. You can grab a seat. Thanks, Les. I was in uh, Radiant Visalia last week. I was not here with you. And it was good to be there. It was good to be with them. But there is no place like home. And I am so thankful to call this place home. Not because I get a paycheck. That's nice. My kids appreciate that. I appreciate that. But I, I'd be here even if I didn't work here. I love this family. I love what God's doing in and through this family. And it is a joy. And it's a privilege to be a part. It's also a privilege to be a part of a bigger family. And so it was great being in Visalia. Um, they are also going through 1 John right alongside of us, and they're also framing it up uh, in the same way that we are, looking at this letter that John is writing the churches in his day and to us as well through the Holy Spirit. He is giving these tests so that people truly know that they're with Christ, truly know that they're following him. There's a lot of ideas, a lot of opinions, a lot of wonky theology that's starting to infiltrate the church during John's day and still to this day. And so he's writing by the power of the Holy Spirit to, uh, to create this blessed assurance inside of those who remain true to what God has called them to. So that's you and I. And he gives these tests along the way to see if it's the real deal. Glenn Power, who teaches Bible at the Gap Year in Visalia, he also preaches in Visalia, and he'll be preaching in Tulare in a couple weeks. Um, we gave him the easiest part, talking about the Antichrist, so he'll be preaching on that. Um, he's going to be here in a few weeks, but Glenn 
uh, he sums up the test of First John in three ways. So we looked at like nine or ten different tests that are throughout the scripture, but he sums it up in three. Doctrine, obedience, and love. Do you believe Jesus is who he says he is? Not your opinion, not your thoughts, not the podcasts that you listen to. Do you believe what he said about himself to be true? Do you have true obedience? This one's simple yet hard. Do you actually do what he says? Not do you highlight it, not do you thumbs up it. Do you do it? Do you walk that out? That's a good test to know if you're really with Jesus. And love is one of the ultimate tests for us. Is it supreme? Do you sincerely love God? Do you sincerely love those around you? Today, we get to take a love test. As Les was reading the scripture, last week, or two weeks ago, I guess, um, we read the first part of chapter 2, and that really is a test about our, our vertical love, our love for God, which leads to obedience. This is what Jesus said in John 14, if you love me, obey my commandments. If you love me, you will do what I say. This week, we're going to be looking more at the horizontal love test brotherly love, sisterly love. 1 John 2, 7 to 8, Dear friends, I'm not writing you a new commandment, but an old one, which you've had since the beginning. This is the command, or this old command is the message you have heard. What's interesting is as you read and as we've listened, John doesn't actually explicitly say what the command that he's talking about is. But as you lean in and look and listen to what he's saying, it looks very clear that all signs are pointing to the brotherly love commandment that Jesus gave to us. And he gave it to us in John chapter 13, verse 34. This is what he said to his disciples, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. So this is the new old commandment, the new old-fashioned way that John is talking about more than likely in chapter 2. In fact, it's probably even older than Jesus sitting around the dinner table with his disciples giving this command. And there's a little bit of a kind of nod to that. If you fast forward in 1 John to chapter 3, verse 11, it says this, For this is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. So Cain and Abel were some of the first sons of the earth. And as old as that, God has desired that we should love one another, not murder one another. This is God's will. This is God's plan. So the old side of this command is that there would be love and unity between brothers and sisters. It's always been God's heart. It's always been God's design. It's always been God's intention that this kind of fellowship would exist, not just with him, but with all of us. This is the old side. The new side is Jesus. Jesus brings the newness. It's true in your life, and it's true in this command. Jesus is the new side of this. John 13, he says, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. The new part is that we actually have a role model. We have a poster child of how to be a human, a knuckleheaded human, flesh and blood human, and love other knucklehead humans around us. 
Jesus is our role model in this. He is the one that demonstrates this. Douglas O'Donnell says Jesus' message was exclusive, but his love was inclusive. The message that Jesus preached, the message that we preach now, is not very popular. It never really has been, but it is true, and it is extremely exclusive. John 14, 6, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Mic drop, boom, that's it. Very exclusive. The love that Jesus walked this life in was extremely inclusive. And these two things do not have to be at odds with each other. It is not loving to water down the truth so someone could just take it in a little easier. It's not loving to do that. And you don't have to empty truth out by loving every person that you meet. We get to see this in Jesus, a perfect living example. He loved everyone. He told people the hard truth, but he loved everyone he came in contact with. He loved his disciples in John 13, 1. He didn't just, like, put up with them. He loved them. John had other, or Jesus had other friends that were outside of his, like, close circle. You know, friends that live in, like, Visalia or Exeter or Bakersfield or, like, in another state. Jesus had those kind of friends. Mary, Martha, Lazarus, John 11, he loved them. He didn't just send them a Christmas card. He loved them. He carried them in his heart. Jesus also loved people who rejected him, didn't want anything to do with him. The rich young ruler in Mark 10 comes to him and says, I want to follow you. Great, sell everything you have, and then you can follow me. I, nope. It's a little bit too steep for me. And what does it say? The scripture tells us in Mark 10, he had a heavy eye roll as he walked away. He was filled with disgust because this spoiled brat couldn't get it together. It says his heart was filled with love. Oh, if you just knew the love that I have for you. Money ain't nothing compared to it. Jesus loved his mama. Any mama boys in the house? Jesus was that. So much so, with some of his last dying breath, he made sure that his mom was taken care of. Interestingly enough, he tasked John with that role. The apostle of love, take care of my mom. You take good care of my mom. Ultimately, the supreme demonstration of this love happened on that cross when Christ died for us, his enemies. Not just neutral, not just kind of unaware. We were enemies of God. Romans 5, 6 to 8, for while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus is our supreme example of what it means to love someone to the point where you would give your life for them. Not only is he our role model, but he's actually the power now that lives inside of us to walk this way to love this way. Philippians 2.13 tells us, for it is God who works in you. Jesus Christ gave you his Holy Spirit. He gave you the power to actually do this. To what? Both to will 
and to work for his good pleasure. You will now want to do this because the Holy Spirit is in you. You will now be able to do this because the Holy Spirit is in you. Wow. His good pleasure is that we would dwell together in unity. And if you are a true follower of Jesus, you will love God. And you will do what he commands. And what he commands right out the gates is to love each other just like he loved us. The Holy Spirit's hard at work this morning harder at work than Mark and I, to testify to the world that Jesus is who he says he is. This is what he's doing, John 15. The whole earth, he is pointing every heart, every ear, every eye to Jesus. He is the Christ. He is the one. He is the way. The Holy Spirit's also pointing the world's attention to the church and saying, do you want to know what it looks like to live in this kind of love, to express this kind of love, to live in the goodness of it, then look to the church. So the question is, how's it going around here? Let's get our grading pencils out. How are we doing with this? Radiant to Larry. Because this is what Jesus said in John chapter 13, by this, everyone will know that you're my disciples. If you love one another, period. There are about 59 one another passages in the Bible. And each one of these is a practical, say practical. Yeah, because it's attainable. You can actually love this way. It's not just like some kind of like fairy tale thing. There are practical expressions, outworkings of this kind of love that Jesus is calling us to. So this is a short list. There's a little QR code you can boop, boop, boop with your phone, and you can actually get a full list on our website, or you can just go step, 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 step out to the connect table and get a printed off paper if you want. Your prerogative. But here's a short list of what love Jesus is calling us to do and have with each other. Be devoted to one another, Romans 12.10. Honor one another above yourselves. Build up one another. Care for one another. Serve one another. Bear one another's burdens, Galatians 6. Forgive one another. This is the love that Christ has shown to you. That's, this is the kind of love with which he's loving you right now. It's not generic. It's not just fill out like the little photocopy Valentine's Day cards and pass it out. It is specific and it is costly. This love is extremely costly. And it's one of the truest tests we can take to know if we're actually walking with Jesus. John says it's so black and white, it's like living in darkness or living in light. You absolutely know what it's like to be loved by someone like Jesus. You know what it feels like. You know what it looks like. You know. You may not be able to articulate it, but you know what it's like to be loved like Jesus loves you. And you also know what it's like not to be loved like Jesus loves you. You, you know it. You may not be able to pencil it down, but you know when it's not the real thing. So the question for us this morning, Radiant Teleria, is, are we living in line with what God says love is in this house? 
Several of you have been to several weddings this year, so you know about 1 Corinthians 13. You know what love looks like, right? Are you living with the posture of love, God love? Or are you living with like the posture opposite to what 1 Corinthians 13 says? Are you envious? Do you want, not just want what somebody else in this room has, but you want them not to have it because you don't have it? Are you envious in this room? Are you arrogant? Are you rude? Are you resentful? Do you rejoice when others stumble or fall because it makes you feel better about yourself? Are you insistent that you get your way in this family? Or are you living in the light? That's the shadow lands that we don't want to have in this family. But the light of 1 Corinthians is this. Are you patient with one another? Hey, it's okay. Take your time. Are you kind to one another? Is that our reputation in this family? Wow, the way they speak to each other is unsettling. It's so kind. Man, I want that said about us. Do you easily rejoice with others when good things happen to them but don't happen to you? Do you think of others as more important than yourself? Do you honor the smallest and the weakest, those who can't do anything for you? Do you show them honor and a special kind of love? And do you show honor to those that are the strongest, that are far more advanced or far more brave than you are? Do you show them special honor as well? Are you quick to forgive? Are you quick to believe the best of the people that you're sitting next to in this room? This is the test. Love is not a sentimental statement. It is a sacrificed life for other people. That's what love is. That's the love that God is calling us to. Is that the love that we are walking with here in this family? That's the test. John's pulling no punches. It's not enough to just say, I love this community. Oh, it's so great here. I just be myself. Nope. It is not enough. Do you love like Jesus loves? Are you on your toes trying to be generous to those around you? Are you on your toes believing the best about the people here? This is what he's calling us to. John's a great teacher, and he's giving a great test this morning. And he's not done. So if you're holding your breath, trying to get through this, this is going to come back around again and again and again as we continue to read this. But John's also a great pastor. And he could probably sense the inside talk that maybe some of us have this morning. Golly, who could do this? Like, who in the world can love like this? Who's actually doing this? Like, I, probably not me. I'm probably out. I'm probably going to go get a donut and go home. I don't know what to do with that. John can probably pick up that this church who's tired, this church who has been doing good, who has been walking in the light, who has been giving to each other, who has been kind to each other, he's writing to them. 
He knows the soberness of the truth he's proclaiming. And then I believe this is what we see happen in these last two verses. There's this pastoral pivot of John the pastor because he loves this little flock. He loves the people of God so much. And he loves what Christ has done for them. And he wants to make sure they know that they know that they know what he's done on their behalf. And so he gives this pastoral exhortation in verses 12 to 14. And it comes out in almost like a poem. You know, if you flip to Psalms, it looks like this. He's, he's singing a song of exhortation over a weary church. Are you tired this morning? Are you growing tired of doing good? Are you tired of doing what you're supposed to do? And it seems like everyone else is getting closer and everyone else is advancing and you're just staying in the same spot. I'm running the play, God. I'm saving myself. I'm forgiving. I'm doing all these things and nothing is changing for me. Are you exhausted? Would you receive the song of a good father over your life this morning? In fact, would you stand to your feet? And I'm going to sing this song over us. And you can just open your hand and receive, not from me, but from your father. Your father in heaven. These are his words. This is his song. I am writing you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I am writing you, fathers and mothers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I am writing you, young men and women, because you have overcome the evil one. I am writing you, little children, because you know the Father. I am writing you, fathers and mothers, because you know him who is from the beginning. And I am writing you, young men and women, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you. And you have overcome the evil one. It's like a sweet lullaby that the father is singing over his kids who just had a really bad fall and a bad stumble. People were saying bad things about them on the playground. And John's writing to remind the church of this high cost of following Jesus. It's costly to love each other like this. But he's also writing to us to remind us the riches that we have are incomparable, incomparable.
incomprehensible in him. Do not quit. Hold fast. Take your eyes off of your circumstance. Put your eyes onto him, him who is from the beginning, him who holds all things together, him who is coming in just a little while and will not delay. You can grab a seat, and I want to just quickly unpack these, these last three kind of, he writes to these three specific groups, and I, and I think that it has something to say to all of us, but I think it has something to say specifically to people in this group. There's little children, fathers, and young men, and there's a lot of thoughts, a lot of ideas that people have of, like, who exactly is he addressing? Is it people who fit into these like age categories? Is it people who fit into these genders? Is it people who fit into this as like a metaphorical category, like on your journey in life with Christ? And at the end of the day, I don't know. I'm not totally sure, and I don't know if anybody but the Holy Spirit and John know at this point. But what I know and believe is, is extremely important, and what is true is that John writes this, and it's true for every Christian. If you're in Christ, what he said, what he's saying is true for you. And he needs you to walk out of this place knowing that you know this is true for you. There's three truths. Your sins are forgiven. Sin can be overcome. And we get to know the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. This is true for every Christian, everyone in Christ this morning. And at the same time, there are particular emphases that hit differently in different ages and stages as you walk with Christ. John 2.12, I write to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven. If you are a Christian here this morning, you must be crystal clear on this one. There is no shadow over this one. It's bright, hot, white light. Our sins are forgiven. Martin Lloyd Jordan says this, the Christian is not a person who is seeking forgiveness or who is hoping to be forgiven. The Christian is not a person who is uncertain about forgiveness or who prays for it or tries to merit it. No, Christians are people who know they are forgiven. As Christians, we absolutely ask for forgiveness if we sin, and we absolutely repent, and we absolutely turn away. In fact, we do it quickly. It becomes our new knee-jerk reaction. Whoa, nope, nope, nope. Sorry about that. Please forgive me. I repent, and we keep moving forward. We're lightning fast at that, but we don't play wondering games of what happens after that. It's crystal clear for us because 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So when you leave this building or when you sit here and I stop talking and your head starts to take over and the question comes into your mind, am I really forgiven? Even for the stuff that hasn't seen the light of day in so long, could it really be that I'm forgiven for that too? We don't pet it. We don't play with it. We don't wonder about it. We don't give it space. We don't say, oh, I'm working on that. I'm trying to be free. No, you're not. You are. You are. First John 2, 12. 
I'm writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. We don't have confidence because it's our merit or our effort, or we just we gave a really good apology letter to him. Man, it was good. It was sincere. It was awesome. No, we have confidence, chin-up confidence for his name's sake. He's the one. We have certainty because of the all-sufficient, perfect, finished work of Jesus on the cross. And when he said out loud with his human voice, it is finished, then it is finished for you. John goes on, verses 13 and 14, I'm writing to you young men because you've overcome the evil one. Because you're strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you've overcome the evil one. And this can feel a little bit patronizing, honestly. For those of you who are in the middle, you're in your midlife Christian life right now. You are so aware. You're walking hand in hand with your Savior, super thankful to be forgiven. But you're walking hand in hand through a war zone. Day in and day out, you are so awake to 1 Peter 5, 8. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a lion, roaring, seeking someone to devour. And you're so familiar with the roars, and you're so familiar with the nipping at your heels, and you're so familiar with the bite of the enemy in your life. You're so aware of this. You're so aware of your weaknesses. Nobody has to tell you, like, you're in a fight. Yeah, I know I'm in a fight. Absolutely. But we're not fixated on ourselves because the reality and the truth is we are in a war, but the victory has been won. That's what John says, you have overcome. Again, if all you're doing, if all I'm doing is fixated on our current situation in life, then yeah, we have not overcome. But if we could do what John is urging us to do, which is to look to him, then he has overcome. And then he said we're seated with him in heavenly places. He said that we're with him in that victory. So yes, it's incomplete currently, but it's on its way to fulfillment. The enemy is scorching the earth on its way down, but it is true and it is sure we have victory. We have strength inside of us because the Holy Spirit's in us. You don't have a great game plan against sin. I don't have a great game plan, but he does. And he's alive and well. And his roar far outweighs that of the enemy that's prowling around like a little house cat. John points to the midlife Christian and he says, you're in a fight and you're aware of your weakness, but you need constant reminder." Remind yourself, Christian, as you leave here, that your enemy is a defeated enemy. He is mortally wounded, and you would be a fool. You would be a fool to give your ear to him today. John continues, I'm writing to you, fathers, because you've known him who's from the beginning. This is it. This is peak relationship right here. Any good any wholesome, any meaningful, any true relationship is based on this, that you know the person, and that person knows you. You don't know just facts about the person. You know facets about the person because we're so intricate. We're not 
the same in every moment, in any given second. There are so many parts, and it's the same with God. We don't just know like Bible trivia facts. Like, yeah, yeah, I know him. Yeah, yeah, I can quote that. Do you know him? Does he know you? There's a knowledge that we can have of someone only by consistently walking side by side with them for a long distance with ups and with downs, with joy-filled moments and with gut-wrenching moments. Fathers and mothers know God, not as some great powerful force out in the cosmos that's just floating up there. Fathers and mothers, they, they don't know God as just someone who's like putting up with them until he can just get you to perfection. Your little weasel will get you there someday. But until then, I'm going to put these heavy, heavy burdens on you to make up for all of your knuckleheadness, all of the burden it is for me to carry you across the finish line. No, fathers and mothers know God as he says he is. Not as their circumstances, not as the world, not as themselves would make him out to be. But they have taken him at his word of who he says he is. This is what we've combed over in our packs this season. Exodus 34, 6-7, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. This is what Jesus said in the Gospel of Matthew when he was talking to Peter and he said, on this rock, on this truth, I'm going to build my church. He wasn't saying, Peter, I'm going to build this on you, a human. He's saying, I'm going to build this on the confession that just came out of your mouth. I am who I said I am. We're not putting this, we're not putting this on a few professional people. We're not building the church on preferences or trends that happen in every generation because we got to get with the times. That's not how he's building his church. Come on, guys. You got to keep up. The world's progressing. Why aren't you? Come on. Get with the program. Come on. You're going to get left behind. You're losing people as it is right now. Nobody's coming to church now. You got to get an upgrade here. You got to loosen up a bit. You got to switch it up. You got to start including some things here. Get with the times. We're not fixated or relying on a program here. We are fixated and relying on a person. And his name is Jesus. And what he says goes. And fathers and mothers know this. They have a steadiness. They're in this room right now. There's a steadiness to them. There's a faithfulness to them. And they've come to this place because they've walked through the fire of life over and over again. They've been disappointed over and over again. They've prayed so many prayers and they've lost so many friends to cancer. And they've, they've, they've shown up every week and they're still serving in the exact same spot. And there's a steadiness to them because in all of it, they have seen him remain faithful. They have put their trust in him. And if you said it, I believe it. You will make good on it on your time and not my time. It's just like a father and mother. The stage that they're in, to not really care about the gifts as much as you care about the gift giver. Fathers and mothers are at a stage now where what's more important than their calling 
their purpose, their place on the field, is that God, God has called them. God knows them. God's given them purpose and a place in life. They're just living in the goodness of it. There's no striving from fathers and mothers. They're just happy to be here. So happy to be a part. Fathers and mothers aren't worried about their seat at the table. Where do I sit? Where do I fit in? Fathers and mothers are thrilled when they see his table filled with his kids for his glory. It's just like a father and mother to say, oh, I don't care if you bring something as long as you come home. I don't care what the test result says. I don't care what the treatment plan is. As long as my God is with me, I will be okay. Regardless of whatever stage or phase that you're in walking with Jesus, you have to know these things are true for you right now. Not because you earned them, but because he bought them and he brought them to you. Your sins are forgiven, Radiant Hilary. If you're in Christ, you can overcome sin in your life because he's in you. And you have the privilege to know him. He's shown himself to you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. They picked you to be on their team. What an honor. John adds this exhortation, remember, right at the end of his command and reminder to love one another. So this exhortation isn't just to make us feel good about ourselves. Although it's nice to be reminded of these things, my goodness, it's hard out there. And we need this song over us. And the good news is that God sings over us repeatedly throughout the day. If we would just tune in and hear his voice, it's there. But it's actually to bring this certainty of who God is and who he's made us to be. And it's to actually lead us into mission. We're on a mission here. We're not just, we are enjoying the goodness of God right here in this place. I am. I love it. But we're on a mission to see this whole earth be filled with his glory. Our mission is love. Love God and love others. Would you stand to your feet? Got two opportunities to respond this morning. I can't think of a better way, if you're a Christian here this morning, to respond by taking communion with other believers. Man, what a privilege to remember him who shed his blood, broke his body for you. What an honor to be at this table. What a costly ticket it was to get us there. We remember him. The other opportunity is if you're here and you're not following Christ, but you hear about this invitation, maybe you've heard for the first time, maybe you've heard a lot, but now it's just fresh upon your ears and in your heart. I want to give you an opportunity to receive this kind of love. You can do it right now. There's no magic trick. You don't have to come up here. I'm not going to bless you with some kind of water. I'm just, you right now are seen and known and loved by God. 
And all you have to do is say, I trust you, I take you at your word, and I choose to obey and follow. And that's where we get to come in. We're all just trying to fumble forward in following Christ into where he's calling us. None of us are doing it perfectly, but we're doing it by grace. We'd love to go on this journey with you. So if you're here and you've not said yes to Christ's invitation, you can do it. And we'd love to pray with you as well as you do that.